Today's Survivor Game Changers cast preview special is sponsored by PostShowRecaps.com. Josh Wiggler and some other guy are back again to cover the next half season of The Walking Dead. For weekly Walking Dead recaps and feedback shows, plus much more, subscribe to Post Show Recaps. Go to PostShowRecaps.com slash iTunes or visit the website at PostShowRecaps.com. Hey everybody, what's going on? Rob Sesternino here with our Game Changer cast preview series episode number two, where once again, we will be talking with two of our expert researchers who are going to do a deep dive today into the game of Suri Fields and then Jeff Varner. So first, we're going to have my good friend, Liana Boris. You've been hearing her on the Hunted recaps this season. We found her during So You Think You Can podcast back in the fall of last year. She is going to be with us today to talk through all three seasons of Suri Field. And then we're going to talk to somebody else that we first met during the So You Think You Can podcast competition. Dustin West is going to be here to talk about the two seasons of Jeff Varner. This is a really great episode here today. I think both these interviews are a lot of fun, and we're very lucky to be talking about two of the great all-time Survivor personalities that are going to be back here for Survivor Game Changers. My plan here this week, I should have an episode for you guys Monday, Wednesday, and Friday this week. So look for three editions of our Game Changer preview series coming up in addition to our Celebrity Apprentice finale, our Hunted recap, and of course, News AF. So another jam-packed week here on Rob Has a Podcast. I'm recording this here today. This is actually the seven-year anniversary of Rob Has a Podcast. So we begin year number eight today. Very excited to have you guys here on board with us. You can subscribe to the podcast. Make sure you don't miss anything that we're doing. RobHasAWebsite.com slash iTunes. And of course, a big thank you to all of the patrons of Rob Has a Podcast who make all of this nonsense possible. We're celebrating three years of having the patron program for the community of Rob Has a Podcast. And of course, without them, none of these long form interviews would have been possible. Of course, I recorded these all last month in January, and I would have never been able to devote that kind of time to a project like this without their support. So if you want to find out more about the benefits of becoming a patron, go to robhasawebsite.com slash patron or click on one of the banners on robhasawebsite.com. And just one other word of note, again, I recorded these interviews a couple of weeks ago during the break in between the season. So if there's things that are coming out that people have said in their interviews about how these players are shifting their strategy, obviously we're not going to know any of the stuff that you're reading that was given in an interview on location. We are just going off of what we project in this season for all of the people that you're going to hear these interviews with. And so with that, let me throw it to my interview with Liana Boris talking about the three times out for Suri Fields. All right, so let's dive into this. I've been really looking forward to talking about this player who is one of the most highly anticipated returns, making her fourth trip back out to Survivor. Some say that she is the greatest player to never win the game. And I think I might've even said that on occasion. And today we're going to be talking about Sari Fields and joining us is another player. Some people also say perhaps the greatest player to never win the, so you think you could podcast competition. Uh, please welcome back to the podcast, Liana Boris. Liana, how are you? Uh, hey Rob, I'm doing absolutely amazing. I'm excited and humbled to talk about the greatest player to never win, which is funny. You bring that up. You know, I have a quote sitting right in front of me. 
the greatest player to never win, quote, Rob Sesternino. So, yep, you said it. Yes. Wait, so you're saying the greatest player to never win is Rob Sesternino? Is that what you're saying? No, that, no, no, no. <laughs> the quote from, I see you trying to flip this around. The quote <laughs> from Rob Sesternino. Uh, and this is from the evolution of strategy. You said it. It's on tape. Yeah. Sorry, not sorry. Well, I also said it when I went to this round table with Jeff Probst. It was it was uh, Game Changer, Sandra, and then Parvati, Cochran, and me. And it was like right before Survivor Season 30. It's on YouTube as well. And okay, Jeff perfect. Probst like went to me and was like, all right, Sister Nino. So once upon a time, you know, I said that you were the smartest player to never win. But you don't really still think that, do you? I was like, wow, uh, it really put me on the spot. But no, what I said was, if you look at the back of the baseball card, I think that, you know, what what even if you say what I did in the Amazon is if you even gave me that what I did in the Amazon was equal to, you know, what Suri did in one of her times, she still has two third place finishes on her belt. So I, I will defer to her. I don't have an ego about that. It's when you get into podcasting, that's where I'll have an ego, Liana. That's right. There you go. <laughs> All right. So before we dive into Suri, in addition to podcasting about Hunted, uh, so uh, what's been going on in your world for anybody who's not listening to those shows? Well, Rob, I'm um, still working on that PhD, uh, piled higher and deeper, I guess, as they say. So hopefully I'll be finishing that up soon. But it, I'm just looking forward to talking about Suri. I mean, just a phenomenal player. When her, you know, she was announced as part of the cast of 34, I could not be more excited and could not be more humbled to be talking about her today. So let's begin our deep dive into Suri. Let's get up off the couch and get into it. So Tell me, what did you do in your preparation for this conversation? Yeah, I wanted to gather as much information on Suri as possible. And I, I think that there is a tendency with really strong players, especially over time, to romanticize them um, or to romanticize their playing styles. So when I was doing rewatches, which I did, rewatches is, of course, uh, Exile Island, Micronesia, and Heroes versus Villains, as well as checking in on the evolution of strategy and other podcasts and exit interviews that she's done. I wanted to really focus on separating what's in her actual game film, so to speak, versus kind of the legacy of Suri in our minds. I mean, that being said, I still think she's an absolutely amazing player, deservedly in the top 10 of the RHAP Survivor Player Rankings. And those are, those are I guess, the things that I did to really prepare for this nuanced and more realistic discussion of her strengths and weaknesses. Where did she come out when we did the top 20 all-time players? I think we actually, then we did one where we did all like top 434 players, right? In the top 20 ranking, she came out as seventh. Pretty good. And some might even say that too low. Yeah, I, I, I might say too low. I could, I could go with that. Okay. All right. So let's get into everything about Suri. So over the course of the history of Suri, in terms of like the broader narrative, she was the person who got up off the couch. She went back. She found herself. She came back and proved that she really was a gangster in an Oprah suit back in fans versus favorites. Came back and perhaps played a little bit too hard in the heroes versus villains. Did you find that to be the story of Suri in your rewatch? Yeah, I think that that narrative still holds true. She, uh, coming out of Exile Island, she was this underdog. She had this growth narrative. She was afraid of leaves. She was afraid of clearing areas. 
uh, she gets up, you know, she, she gets off the couch, she makes these moves as a strategist, but then really comes into full stride as this master strategist in fans versus favorites with the help of the Black Widow Brigade. And then in Heroes versus Villains, mm, she still tries to be that master strategist, but because of playing too hard and then kind of an actually odd situation with JT flipping, ends up being voted out relatively early in that season. All right, so let's take these seasons one by one and just go back and I want to know if there's anything that you caught on the rewatch. So going back to season 12, was there anything that you saw from Sari that really impressed you on your rewatch? I didn't remember Exile Island, I think, as well as maybe I thought I did. She really should have been the first boot that season. So Mm -hmm. Exile Island was where tribes were separated based on age and sex. So there are four tribes of four players. She's placed in the older women tribe, and they go to tribal council that first episode. And she is clearly the weakest of the four players in that tribe. But due to what really stood out to me, I mean, her amazing social ability to kind of isolate the lumberjack lady who she never gives a name to, never refers to, I think is Tina was Timbertina, yes. Timbertina, yes. So the lumberjack lady, she is able to oust in that first tribal council uh, and and then, you know, make it all the way till final four. Yeah. She also then after the tribe swap is in a particularly bad position with her and the great Melinda. Is that right? Do I have her name right? Yeah. Yes. The cl- classic player, Melinda. <laughs> classic from, Melinda. From Exile. Yeah. And they are really firmly at the bottom of the new Kasaya to the point where our good friend uh, Adas ends up like telling, just so you guys know, you're at the bottom. One of you two <laughs> yeah. is getting voted out. But she's able to hang on for long enough and they never get rid of her. Yeah, I mean, Shane straight up tells her, you're going next. So I don't know what it was that saved her that first vote where it's between Melinda or Suri. I mean, I want to say it's because of Suri's masterful social ability and her ability to kind of build relationships. We don't really know. Maybe maybe Melinda was a dud. I don't know. I don't <laughs> yeah. remember. I mean, I don't think that's necessarily <laughs> a fair comparison that you're right. comparing one of the greatest all-time charismatic survivor players with and also ran like Melinda. Right, right. But so she's able to survive that first tribal council. And then due to the beautiful dysfunction of the Kasaya tribe is able to work her way in. Uh, and then the next time they end up going to tribal council, it's actually a super interesting vote where it's Bob Dog that ends up being ousted in a three, two, one, one vote split mm-hmm. um, where, you know, but actually Suri ends up kind of being part of the reason why Bob Dog is the one that goes home. Um, you know, Bruce was talked about as going home, but Suri ends up steering the vote back towards Bob Dog. So we already start to see early in the game her ability to make strategic moves and kind of direct people where she wants them to go. And if I recall, I believe what happens on that vote is that she gets the women back on her side in double D and Courtney end up voting with her in that spot. Aris was pushing for Bob dog to stay, but people were very fearful that he was somebody who was going to get back together with the younger men and Shane powers, a, I would never write Bob Dog's name down. Like he made like a promise to Bob Dog, right? Yeah. That he was never going to write his name down. Yeah, this is a throwaway vote. It's a throwaway. Vote. I just, I just want my vote to go away. Just disappear. 
Okay. So, all right. So, Sari, it does seem like that working with the women is top of mind with Sari. In fact, when we go back and look at her game, it doesn't seem like that she has too many male allies that she trusts. I mean, she she does end up having a final three with Aris and Shane. Mm-hmm. So she is able to work in with them. And her and Aris become particularly close, where Aris says that Suri is the person that I trust the most um, going into to the final four. But Bruce and Bob Dog, not so much. But I guess outside of Aris through all of her seasons, I do feel like that that's a through line. When you take a look at the allies that she works with, it seems like predominantly she works with women over men. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think she has a predominance to work with women. And that's something that I'm thinking about, you know, going into into Game Changers, that she's most likely going to want to align align with women as she's done in the past. What do you think that is? Do you feel like that because she feels like she is not great in the challenges that she wants to at least give herself a fair shot as opposed to some of these challenge beasts? I mean, she does play with Terry Dietz the first time around with Ozzy the second time around two people who are known for their challenge prowess. Is that Mm -hmm. what she's thinking? Yeah, I think so. And she, she mentioned something in a post game interview from heroes versus villains, where she's talking about how she really saw Tom as such a, challenge beast and she kept bringing up the word challenge so i do think that suri has a tendency to to think of these big strong guys really as challenge threats and that's obviously an area where she is not not as not strong in okay so anything else from panama that you want to highlight in your rewatch you know, it's talked about a lot, the her ouster of Courtney, the three, two, one yes, vote. Yes, at the final I think we would, Yeah, I think we'd be remiss to not mention it here. I mean, it is one of the most exciting strategic votes where Suri is really the only one who knows the whole story. So this is where it's a three, two, one vote split where uh, Shane thinks that they're voting for Danielle. Courtney and Terry think that they're voting for Aris, where in the background, Aris, Suri, uh, and... Danielle all voting together to get Courtney out. And what did she do there that was so incredible in your mind? So I think it's she essentially misdirects the correct people in order to get that three, two, one vote split. Um, because Shane is just so fixated on voting out Danielle that she acknowledges that she's not going to be able to change his opinion to vote for Courtney. So she lets him just do his own thing. And then Courtney and Terry were going to vote for Aris no matter what. So she kind of, you know, says, yeah, we're going to vote with you. Sure. Like you do your thing. And then takes kind of her some of her closest allies in uh, Danielle and Aris, and then directs that vote at Courtney. So she's essentially the one putting the whole thing together, taking these pieces of this social puzzle and getting the outcome that she wants, which is uh, Courtney's eviction or vote out of off the island. Yeah, you get to the point where it's almost like an inception type thing where you have like the dream within a dream. So you have like a fake plan going on where it's like, okay, Shane is thinking that we're voting out Danielle, but they're telling Terry one thing. And then of course, you know, you're telling Terry and Courtney, okay, uh, we're voting out Aris on this vote. And then you have to keep that story straight. And then on top of that, what's really going on is that Suri and Danielle and Aris are voting in another direction, which is what they want to have happen and to send Courtney out who she feared was going to be a final two goat for Shane. 
Exactly. I tried to put a diagram together, but even I got confused. So, so this is the best I could do describing kind of this whole, you know, the plan within a plan within a plan situation. Yeah. Now we've talked a lot about these game changers this season. What do you feel like is the way that Sari changed the game? I think that Sari changed the game uh, because she you know, again, to use the, she's the person that got up off the couch. She's this, you know, mother kind of non-physical afraid of leaves you know, player who somehow manages to come in, make it to final three, final four, and really show that you don't have to be, you know, the Tom Westman's or the Terry Dietz in order to make it deep and far into this game. But besides being someone who is an untraditional finalist or a person to be there in the end, do you feel like that there is a contribution that she made strategically that you feel like that people followed her lead on? I know we're talking about the three, two, one vote, but did you feel like that that was something that made an impression on the future players and not just the fans? I think what she's really remembered for is her gameplay in Micronesia with the the vote outs of Ozzy and then Eric at the end. I think that those are her two biggest moves that she's really remembered for. And people really consider her, her you know, a game changer. OK, so let's segue into talking about fans versus favorites. Now, I feel like that she comes away from Panama and she, I think, is one of the most beloved figures. I mean, when you watch that finale of the reunion show, from season 12, like everybody's just going nuts for Suri when they show HB in the audience. Everybody is going nuts. I think that she wins the fan favorite player of the season, I believe, also. Yeah, I think she gets a car. Gets a car or something like that. <laughs> so, yeah. Which I don't know. Maybe that's the curse. She won the car. <laughs> the car curse. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe that's why she wanted Yao Man so badly uh, coming into the next season. Exactly. But, so she comes back, but I think she was really painted. So much is built on the perception. She's really not painted as sort of like this like stone cold killer of a player. She's like, she was the mom that that she believed that she could do it. And she did. And she came out here on Survivor. So I think that she comes back into Survivor fans versus favorites. And I think that everybody has a very positive reaction to her being there. And I don't think people are targeting her. Seemingly, nobody wants to work with her to start that game, but nobody's targeting her. Right, exactly. Her first confessional in Micronesia is, hey, remember me? I was on the couch. So clearly that narrative still playing through, you know, into the start of fans versus favorites that will change throughout the course of the season. But but yeah, it's absolutely still there. And uh, and she's not necessarily targeted because of that. Now, important to note here, she's going to start on that favorites tribe with Ozzy, who will also be a season 34 cast member. And I will, let's talk about this more when we get to Ozzy being voted out. But I just want to at least plant the flag mm-hmm. there. One of my favorite moments uh, from that season comes really early on. I remember being super captivated when we did the evolution of strategy going back to I think it's the third episode of that season where Sari gets into sort of a bare knuckles, knockdown, drag out fight with Penner on Favorites Beach. Did you take anything away from those conversations? So this was something that I also didn't remember about Suri. She gets into a lot of fights with people. She has a big blowout with Terry in Exile Island. She's got this big blowout with Penner, and then she gets into a fight with Amanda later on, which is something I didn't quite remember. But uh, but going back to this fight that she has with Penner, I mean, she straight up tells him, 
She's like, you're mad because I'm not doing what you want me to do. Well, let's let's talk about it. Let's get into it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I don't want to talk to you. I'm not listening to you. You don't tell me what to do. <laughs> so uh, so yeah, like get it, girl. I was I was pretty impressed by that. Um, it may not have been the best strategic move to pick a fight with him. I mean, it ends up working out for her in the end. I don't know if that's being results oriented, but but I, I think it's a good point that you bring up here. I mean that with Sari. You do have these two sides of the same coin in that she is charming, charisma off the charts, can really win anybody over with her social game. But at the same time, she really digs her heels in sometimes and it comes as a bit of a detriment to her. Not so much in her first two games, but I think that ultimately when we talk about heroes versus villains, I think that that's going to be where we get into a problem. Yeah, so I you know, I was thinking about that too because I, you know, I, in my mind, when I was thinking about her seasons before going back and rewatching them, I was just so captivated about how strong a player she was and how strong a social player she was. But I knew about kind of how she digs in her heels and fans versus favorites and isn't willing to compromise. But you notice this in that first Yao, well, I guess that technically the second vote for the fans or for the favorites that season, but that Yao man vote. Um, she pushes everybody's buttons. There's quotes from James and Amanda saying, you know, well, we just folded to her will. She made it all about her decision. Uh, and, and that really is, we start to see the signs of maybe some not so great social play coming from Surrey. Yeah. And just to reset that point. So those tribes start at 10, Johnny fair play quits or gets voted out. And then we get to the point where Suri is basically the swing vote between the two sides of four where Penner, Yao Man, Amy and Eliza are on one side. And then on the other side are the two couples and mm-hmm. they're both courting her to go in the direction and Penner and Amy and Yao and Eliza all felt like that's true was with them, but she ultimately switches to the couples after a conversation with Parvati and Amanda in the boat about how they're going to go to the final three. And that's really her idea, right? To create this bond between the three women and ditch these guys. Right. So Suri, she's out on the boat. It's a scene with with her, uh, Amanda and Parvati. And essentially, Suri brings up this idea of like, are you really going to go to the end with these guys? Are you really going to take James and Ozzy to the finals with you? Uh, And so she's the one that floats that idea out there. And of course, the two women respond, no, are you kidding me? We can never win against these guys. And that sets her up as part of a three within that group of five. And I think ultimately makes her decision of why to go with those four other players. And it's really a great scene. And her and Parvati are really grilling Amanda of like, you're going to stick with us, right? You're going to ditch Ozzy later on in the game. She's like, yeah, yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it. But she seems a little reluctant, Amanda. Yeah, Amanda's Amanda's a little reluctant, you know, because her and Ozzy might have little Ozlets. So Suri and Parvati just want to make sure that, you know, even if they have the Ozlets, she'll cut them at the end, right? Yeah. All right. <laughs> so going back to what we were talking about with Ozzy and eventually his ouster from the game, they do the tribe swap. Suri is going to stay on the swap tribe with Eric Reichenbach, uh, with Ozzy, with Amanda, with Joel and Chet. Uh, and they're terrible, right? <laughs> yeah, they're terrible is is a good way to describe their team. But, the, you know, they do have Chet 
poop pants Welch on their team. So you can't, I don't know how well you can play when, when he's dragging along behind Joel. Now, how much friction was there directly between Ozzy and Suri? Was she just sort of in confessionals killing him or did they actually get into any altercations on the island? I tried to look to watch their interactions and they don't seem to get into any, you know, direct confrontation. I mean, there are the votes that happen when she's on that swapped tribe are, are definitely not as aggravating as the one with Yao Man. So, you know, she, she, uh, she ends up getting out Joel with little. Uh, fight from Ozzy. You know, she's able to form a coalition with some of the weaker players like Tracy and Chet and then convince she is is a little bit easier. It's easier for her to convince Ozzy and Amanda to go along with that plan because she kind of pits Joel and Ozzy as, against each other. All right. So then going up to the point where Ozzy gets voted out, I think that fans versus favorites is a season where they say that a success has a million fathers or mothers in this case, uh, but a <laughs> failure is a bastard. But in fans versus favorites, all of these big moves, I feel like that there is a lot of debate in the community over who is the orchestrator of some of these big swings in this game. Yeah, I would agree with that because the the Black Widow Brigade really does operate as a really cohesive unit. Everybody plays a role. So when you have a move like this, who is it that you attribute, you know, the the success of two? Um, I do think the Aussie blindside, that's a, a interesting situation because Parvati is the one who kind of puts the team together that you need in order to get Ozzy out. You know, she, when she's on the tribe swap, she's able to pull in Alexis and Natalie, which they need in order to make this move. But it was Suri's idea. She's the one that identifies that this might be a perfect time to blindside Ozzy. We can take advantage of other people that are wanting to do the same. Um, and she also identifies the people that they shouldn't tell on the blindside. They don't tell Amanda, um, which is the key one. They don't tell Eric and don't tell James as well. But I really think that Suri was the mastermind behind that ouster. How do you think Ozzy views it? Does he view Suri as the person responsible for his ouster? Because he really comes after poverty pretty hard at the final tribal council. Yeah, I, I think that Ozzy sees it more coming from poverty. So how that's going to impact if, you know, when Ozzy and Suri play together, um, could be interesting because it's possible that he may not actually harbor any ill will towards Suri because of that move. Yeah. What do you think the chances of that are? Well, so Ozzy and Suri are going to be starting on the same team together, which we can talk about maybe the tribe divisions a little bit later. But ooh, I feel like Ozzy is going to end up wanting to pair with the big guys and might not want to work with her. But that being said, they are two sort of older school players and my pair up because of that. I don't know. Maybe this is just me being optimistic. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think that this is going to be a problematic relationship for at least one of them, because I feel like that Ozzy is not the type of guy who once you betray him, he ends up really bringing you back in with open arms. Yeah, Ozzy, <laughs> Ozzy is the type of player that he he doesn't look for people that are targeting him, but once he is targeted by you or is voted, you vote him out, then it's kind of he'll do anything he can to get back at you. He's a little emo. We can say that. I, I, yeah, he's he's a little emo. He's, he's a little He's bit. got the longer hair, maybe more <laughs> so. I don't recall him ever wearing eyeliner, but, no. but maybe. <laughs> <laughs> maybe down the road. Maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe for game changers. That's how he'll change the game. <laughs> 
<laughs> He's changed more than his game. All right. So then we want to talk about uh, the end game of fans versus favorites. So uh, Jeff Probst would go on to say in fans versus favorites, blindside after blindside after blindside, even though a couple of them were like medical evacuations. Mm, and I'm not yeah. sure, quite sure if the Alexis thing is a blindside. I uh, think his record item. just got stuck. So he's just stuck on repeat. <laughs> yes. Blindside. But it's a blindside. Jeff really hypes it up. Uh, blindside <laughs> after blindside. So how much credit do you give to Suri on these moves? Let's go pre-Eric, pre-Eric up to the final six. So I, I absolutely would give credit. Uh, to Surrey for the Aussie blindside. Um, mm-hmm. uh, people may disagree with me on that, but after having just watched the season, I really do think that Surrey is behind orchestrating that whole move. Uh, next is Jason voted out. Mm-hmm. That one, more of a whole team effort. I mean, Natalie really is the one who ends up playing Jason in that situation, mm-hmm. uh, which there was, there's a really fun quote from Jeff Propes. He's talking to Eric who has the immunity necklace. <laughs> he says, unless you want to do something crazy and hand off your necklace to someone else, yeah. which I didn't, I didn't remember at my, my rewatches. So anyway, so that was beautiful. And then, uh, then we get to the Alexis vote out, which Suri is not a part of. This is where there's six people left and Amanda has found the idol, although as viewers, we don't know that. And Amanda and Parvati vote for Alexis to leave. But Suri actually ends up siding with Eric, Alexis, and Natalie to vote out Amanda. Uh, although Suri has this long conversation with Amanda where she talks about, you know, uh, she agonizes over having to vote for Amanda. She doesn't want to do it, but it's really not her best interest to force a tie. And Amanda plays the idol. So Suri was yeah. out on that. She doesn't want to go to rocks. I mean, Suri yeah, exactly. is willing to flip against her final three to move on and avoid going to the rocks. And that might be another interesting nugget to file away for a later game changers date of Suri is really <laughs> risk averse with going to rocks. Yes. Yes, she's very afraid of colored rocks. Yes. So, she so, doesn't want to be the new Jessica Lewis. Uh, that's right. <laughs> that's right. So she, uh, yeah, so she, and I think that you, uh, you and Josh talked about this on the evolution of strategy, that it's not in her best interest to go to rocks at that point. And it's interesting that I think if you rearrange the letters in Suri, can you get Sierra and then there's somebody <laughs> who loves going to rocks? <laughs> Maybe they'll cancel each other out somehow. I don't, I don't, I'm, you know, I'm an engineer, so I'm not that good at math, but maybe yeah. someone can work that problem. Yeah. I need an A in Suri to uh, get to Sierra, <laughs> but they are not on the same uh, starting try, but maybe at the sure. merge they could talk about it. Okay. So then let's get to the Eric Reichenbach one, because this is the one that I think that re- people really debate who is the person, who is the orchestrator? Is it mm-hmm. Parvati? Is it Suri? Is it Amanda? Is it Natalie Bolton? Is it just a complete team effort across the board? What do you think? It really depends on how much you weigh the value of everyone's contribution. So I do think it is for sure a team effort. You can't do it without one of these players. Well, maybe maybe Parvati, I don't don't know. But, you know, Amanda is the one who's really pushing Eric that, you know, we don't trust you, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Suri is the one that comes up with the whole plan. And Suri actually has very detailed notes for how every single player needs to play this. She comes up with the original idea. She tells Amanda and Parvati to really go after Eric at Tribal Council. She tells Natalie what to do, some of the things to tell Natalie. And uh, and I, I, 
I kind of think of this, and I think you guys talked about this too, but it's like she is directing this whole movie. So, you know, she is the conductor of in this orchestra. You need all of the individual players, but she seems to be the one that's leading uh, this this whole movement. So we after the big Eric moment happens, uh, she gets down to the final three and sort of blindsided by the fact it's going to be a final two in this season. Did you feel like that that fact cost Suri a million dollars in this game? <sighs> okay. So there are a lot of people, I think, that assume that if she had made it, she would have won. But when you really start to look at the votes, I mean, we don't we don't know how good how well she would perform in the final tribal council. She is somebody who is so charismatic and might be able to perform really well and flip a couple votes to her side. Although, you know, I think we talk about votes being fixed kind of going into that final tribal council. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Uh, I don't know if she wins. Yeah. Josh and I did a pretty good breakdown of it when we got to, I don't think we did it for the final three. Maybe, maybe we did, uh, but I remember doing it for the final two and being surprised at how poorly we thought Suri ended up faring just with that particular jury, certainly to the people at home. She seems like she should be the person who wins, but we think that there's right. a lot of people between your Aussies and your J- Franciscas and Reichenbach, mm-hmm. uh, Alexis and Natalie who are going to be just like complete poverty fangirls. So it's hard to find where you can get three or four votes for Suri in that jury. Right, exactly. I think you do several breakdowns of if it was a final three, if it was a final two, and Suri was in that final two. And I I don't know if there was one outcome where Suri ends up winning. Yeah, uh, which is a shame. And then also to have her not even get to the finals, I mean, uh, kind of bad luck for her. The final two after season 13, when the final three comes in, I think the only seasons with a final two are that fans versus favorites are token genes and also uh, in Kagiyan. And uh, I hope I'm not mm-hmm. missing any other ones along the way. But yeah, it's, uh, you know, a tough draw for Sari. Yeah, I, I agree. Although, you know, she wouldn't have, might not have won. So yeah, then you but, can kind of rely on, oh, Grace never went. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, you can still get to the finals. I think she would take that. Okay. So let's talk about then heroes versus villains. Cause now here is Suri back again. Uh, interestingly, what does she play? 12, 16, 20. So she was sort of like mm-hmm. on a regular every four season schedule. So now she's really off that schedule in season 34. Uh, interestingly, all even numbers. You know, I don't know if I can pull some Justin from BBOTT and uh, think that there's some type of witchcraft going on here. But uh, but all even seasons. Yeah, it's exciting. She <laughs> yeah. likes to play in the spring. <laughs> she likes to play in the spring. OK, so here's uh, Suri back for season 20. And here she is as a hero. And things uh, from the get go are looking dicey, right? Yeah. I mean, the heroes tribe is is kind of a mess. <laughs> so she's a little bit on, I mean, she's, she's not on the outs because I mean, she is still ends up being in, in the majority Alliance, but I don't think she ever quite finds her footing and is still battling against some of the other juggernauts of that season. Yeah. She's kind of in a bad spot where we talked about how in the second time that she played the really good edit that she got in the first season, not to imply she got a bad edit in the second season, but like that journey of she was the, the, the woman who got off the couch and decided to play and everybody was behind her. And she had this really heroic story 
But mm-hmm. now in Heroes versus Villains, she's basically the strategic hero. All the other heroes are sort of in the mold of, hey, we win challenges. We do what's right. And they're not seen as overly schemy in any way. And certainly players like JT and Tom Westman schemed along the way. But so you're saying Col- Colby is not a uh, strategic player. <laughs> yeah, what, he what does not saying? strategize full tilt. I would think so. But right. Sari, I think, is sort of miscast on that tribe as a person who is really trying to play the game hard and strategically. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think she really, you know, even though, she, like you said, she has this kind of heroic got off the couch uh, growth narrative that has faded and she really is a strong strategic player and maybe not that she's inherently a villain maybe but uh but is that style of play she might fit better with her style of play she might fit better on the villains tribe and now here she's at odds from the start with tom westman and somebody mm-hmm. that she's going to play again with here in season 34 jt thomas yes jt her and jt are bffs <laughs> yeah XO, XO. XO. Right. Lo- love you. Love JT. All right. So in this game, things get off on the right foot. Sure, they get rid of sugar. But then what's going on from that point on with this Heroes Tribe, which is struggling? Yeah. So the Heroes Tribe is uh, is struggling. James doesn't even know what to do. He's never lost this much in his, his whole life. Just want to win, and, y'all. Uh, <laughs> Just want to eat bananas and win. So, so Suri is really in that that second episode. So they've lost Sugar episode one. They've lost the second immunity challenge, and they're going back to tribal council. And there's this just crazy situation where James is pushing for Stephanie to go home, uh, but Stephanie and Tom are trying to sway over Suri and Candace to vote with them. Um, and it's just kind of it's kind of a hot mess. Sari really doesn't seem like she's in control of the situation. And there are a lot of different moving parts. How does it ultimately shake out? Right. So ultimately, what you end up having is there's this core four with JT, James, Rupert and Amanda. And then on the other side, you have Tom, Colby and Stephanie with Suri and Candace in the middle. So both sides are sort of trying to get their vote. Uh, Suri and Candace, Suri ultimately is at odds with Tom Westman. So Suri and Candace then vote with Tom, Colby, and Stephanie. But in order to keep the tribe strong and to keep Tom, they vote out Stephanie instead. And now Suri is in a position where in her first two seasons, you know, in Panama, certainly her game was probably more Sandra-like a little bit, where she was just willing to go with the flow and go with whatever the whims of the tribe were. And she was able to sort of like get in the good graces of the group. And they sort of just forgot about her for a while. Then we saw in her second season, she ended up pushing back a bit more when she was the swing boat. And now here she is really trying to call the shots. But unfortunately, people aren't going with her this third time around. Right. Well, you know, it's interesting because she sort of has these two two modes, predominant two modes where it's anyone but me. Um, which you see a lot in Panama and then a little bit in the fans versus favorites in fans versus favorites. And she actually does it at the beginning of heroes versus villains with sugar. She realizes that sugar is a benefit to her. You know, it makes more sense for her to get out these big beefy guys who are threats to her, but goes along with the group gets out sugar. But then after that, she goes into this inflexible mode where she really wants to stand up for, uh, for her opinion and for the people that she thinks she needs to be, needs to be voted out. 
it's just interesting to me that she wants to target these big guys that can win the challenges. It's almost like, you know, if you can't beat them, join them. I wonder if that's something that she would consider doing of partnering up with some of these guys and making a run to the end of the game. I mean, if she got to the final two in Panama with Terry, do you sense that she would have won that game? Uh, I, you know, I think a lot of that Kasaya tribe resented Terry for consistently winning, you know, essentially would have won his way to the end. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know if they would have respected that game saying, all right, you beat us, man. Or would they have said like, no, (laughs) we're voting for three. Yeah. We don't like you. I wonder if this idea of the meat shield is something that she could adopt also where where if she was to try to keep some of these bigger physical players around, would people be able to forget about her more? And then would that also prevent these guys who are the bigger physical players from ganging up and going after her? Yeah, I, I mean, that's interesting that you bring it up. I think there are a couple points to make. One is that you know, she's so fearful of being the weakest person because then that means that she's an easy out. And so if she can keep someone who's weaker, she might have a tendency to do that and take out one of those big, strong guys. I I think she does have a meat shield in fan versus favorites. It's Parvati and Amanda. So maybe her meat shield isn't, it's not the Tom, it's not the JT, but it's another strong female player that stands out in front of her. But the problem is that her meat shields and Parvati and Amanda got together and said, boy, we can't let Sari get to the end and she'll 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 do good against this and the jury. So yeah. she needs to find that Aris, you know, that person who was right. the guy who was the physical threat, who was going to beat Terry in the final challenges and bring her to the end. Unfortunately, you know, Aris couldn't get there with her, but he was ready to bring her and then he was fine to lose with her. He needs to find like the Colby to her Tina. Exactly. Yes, exactly. That That is the, the person that if Suri can find a line with and then make it deep with, that's the, the key person to take her to the end. You know, I think that if you go back to David and Ken this past season, and again, it did not work out for she- David, but if she could be sort of like the brains of the operation and have somebody who could be out there and sort of whether it's a Joey Amazing type player or somebody who's going to be out there as the challenge beast, this might not be a bad strategy for her. Yeah, I I could definitely see that. And I can see that working for her. So let's talk about how it all goes awry for Suri in Heroes versus Villains. Poor Suri. So the the situation that ends up happening was actually more complicated than than I originally thought. So she they end up the villains end up losing in episode three. So Suri doesn't have to worry about that. But then come episode four, poor Suri, the heroes lose the immunity challenge and Tom finds an idol and Suri really doesn't handle this. Well is so exasperated. Every, the other uh, members of her hero tribe are running around talking about, Oh, we can't vote for Tom. I want to vote for, you know, we got to vote for Colby. Oh, we can't vote for Colby because he's strong in challenges, you know, unbeknownst to them. Uh, But, but you know, she, she, she just digs her heels in. She says, no, this is what we have to do. And JT, who has decided to play a completely different game from what he played before, is the one who ends up flipping. So she actually does manage to keep the other members of her alliance in line, uh, except for JT, who who flips. Right. So the way this vote ends up breaking down is you have the alliance of Rupert, Amanda, Candace, Suri, and James, which do they do all vote together. 
Um, although maybe the chagrin of, of James, who's still feeling pushed around. Uh, but they split the vote on Colby and Tom. Mm-hmm. Um, and JT was originally supposed to be in that, making it a 3-3 vote. But instead, JT flips to vote out Suri with Colby and Tom. Now, Tom plays the idol on himself, which negates his three votes. So the votes end up coming out three for Suri and two for Colby. So it really only took three out of the eight possible votes to get her out. But because of JT's flip, she goes home this episode. Really epic tribal council, especially for pre-merge. I mean, we were talking about it this past season where David played the idol on Jessica, how it had been so long since uh, a couple of pre-merge idol plays in this season, including this one. It had been 13 seasons since we saw successful pre-merge idol play. And so uh, a really historic. I mean, Heroes versus Villains is just like boom, boom, boom out mm-hmm. of the gate. And this is uh, one of those major moments from the season. Just talk to me about there's a moment that happens in this episode where people tell Suri something. And I remember her being like really angry about what they're telling her. Are they telling her basically that they're going to be voting out Candace? And then she's saying like, uh, what are we doing here? Candace is with us. Yeah, they want to flip to Candace. And uh, because JT is kind of wanting to make some alliances with he really wants to play with Tom and he wants to play with Colby. So JT then goes to Rupert, Amanda and James says, hey, like, why why don't we just vote out Candace? You know, we got to keep these strong guys. And Sari is just so furious, incredibly furious at Rupert, Amanda, and James. And JT overhears this, which I think ends up being one of the reasons why JT flips, because Sari is so unwavering in her need to get out either Tom or Colby. So let's talk about this experience and going through and then being an early boot in season 20. How do you think this experience changes Sari, specifically if there is a moment Early on in the game, pre-merge, like she was in in Fans vs. Favorites, like she was in, where things could go either way. Do you think that she's going to dig in, or do you think that she is going to revert to the first iteration of Suri and be more likely to go with the flow? I really would love to see her go with the flow. You know, this has been, she was playing essentially every two years from 2006 to 2010. It's now been seven years, and... Hopefully, you know, she's had some time to to I don't know if maybe mellow out is the right word, but she doesn't have to be the baller calling the shots that first tribal council. And if she is unwilling to kind of take a step back, I mean, she might see a downfall similar to what she had in Heroes versus Villains. It's such a tricky question. I know that you don't want to make waves uh, with the All-Stars, but sometimes if you don't make a move, a big move fast enough that the game could pass you by and there's nothing that you can do. Believe me. (laughs) Believe me. Yeah, I I don't know. She, She is a huge fan of this game and she watches... She's not particularly involved in the community, but she doesn't seem like the type of player that would go back and really do a solid retrospective of her own game and say, you know, this is why I failed. This is what I need to correct going on. I mean, maybe I'm wrong and maybe we'll see some some different strategies with Suri. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that she might, along with her previous experiences and then also this game changers you know, title for this season, right? I mean, how does that not make you want to make a big move? We heard all of the the millennials versus Gen X talk that 
you know, oh, oh, yeah, millennials, Gen X, like nobody's really going to be talking about that until Jeff Probst like puts that up. You see that on, on the flag, on the logo. So I am a little nervous for her that if she gets kind of caught up in this game changers mentality, that she's going to want to dig her heels in and, and make another big move early on. So what are the things that you think that she needs to work on for season 34? I think there are a couple of things that she needs to work on. I actually think she needs to revert back a little bit more to her game in, in Panama. Mm-hmm. She needs to not, you know, not push so hard, I think, with some of these strategic votes. I mean, the fact that some, one of her tribe mates, James and Fan versus Favorites, is saying, you know, we folded to her will. Uh, it's not such a good thing, you know, that you want following you around. She also really needs to to maybe fight less with people. You know, like I said, she got into way more fights than I remember. And if she can just focus on building those solid relationships like she does in Exile Island, which Exile Island, by the way, is arguably the season with the most blurred butts. I would argue, I could, I don't know why that was something that stood out to me. I could, I have not done a statistical analysis, but based on the just rewatching, there's a lot. Yeah. There's a lot. Okay. Sorry. Side note. So, um, so yeah. So I think she just, she really works on building her strong social relationships. And like we mentioned, maybe finding that, that meat shield that's going to work for her. Um, those are really the main things that she, she's going to need to focus on. To me, the two biggest weapons she has in her arsenal are that million dollar smile and that infectious laugh. She has one of the best laughs of anybody that's ever played. And if she can just be fun, Suri, I think that that's going to really help her. I think that the more she tries to assert her will on this group, the more people are going to resist, the more that she is just a fun part of this consensus. I think the less threatening people are going to think of her. Yeah, absolutely. I have written down in my notes under social strengths, smile, giggle. Yes, <laughs> literally giggle. have that written down. Yes. And, you know, that when you watch interviews with her, you can't help but want to hang out with her and want to be her friend because of this amazing likability that she has. And if she can, you know, she can rely on that. I mean, that's how she really gets into the Kasaya tribe. I mean, that and they're a bunch of nut jobs, <laughs> but that's how she can work her way in to the Kasaya tribe. And if she can do that, I, I really think that that's something she needs to focus on yeah and save all of you know the cutting remarks for us in confessional like (laughs) it should be like a sitcom where she's the normal one in a show full of lunatics Yes. Well, with Brad Culpepper on your season, that's a, it's a great start. <laughs> so you mentioned to hearing Suri talk in interviews. I know that uh, Suri only has one appearance and uh, this makes me very sad, but we've only talked to her just one time in the history of Rob as a podcast. And it was seven years ago. What did you take away from my interview with Suri during Survivor Nicaragua? Yes. So this is the very exciting Nicaragua uh, season premiere. (laughs) And, uh, and, you know, she said that she didn't think she could ever win the game, but she thinks that her biggest flaw is that she won't be able to get to the end. So I think she's still thinking in the Exile Island fan versus favorites. And this is after Heroes versus Villains, right? That that is still her biggest hurdle is being able, because she's not a physical threat, to find somebody that will take her to the end. Um, Where I think that that along with kind of this 
pre-merge situation where since she's such a weak competitor, I mean, that is also a big hurdle for her. But that's what she identifies as the reason she'll never be able to win. How was that to go back and listen to? Was it a fun interview? It was fun. It was fun. Uh, You know, less strategic takeaways, but um, she knows not to make facial expressions in tribal to Jeff. Yes. <laughs> to not attract his attention. Hold on, Leon. Don't kill us for not having a lot of strategic takeaways <laughs> from the Wendy Joe boot episode what? of Survivor Nicaragua. I'm and, sorry. and breaking down the what? medallion of power. The key medallion of powers. That's a game changer. Why is that not bad for this? It might Hopefully, be. maybe you it will don't be. Know. Maybe it will be. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> One of the other things I've noticed about Suri, uh, I noticed this when we watched her on The Price is Right. Uh, and it seems to me that Suri looks like she might be in the best shape out of the four times that she played Survivor. She looks like, to me, she dropped a lot of weight since we went back to season 20. Yeah, I mean, she actually mentioned that she had to lose weight, I think, I think to go on Exile Island. Um, so, you know, who knows? Maybe maybe she is in the best shape. Maybe she'll be able to to beast it out in some of these challenges. I'd love to see that. <laughs> and really, to be fair, who knows, you know, did, did she get in really good shape to go play Survivor? Or sometime in the last, you know, five years, did she, you know, start a new regimen of exercise? And, you know, she could be doing decathlons for all we know. That's we right. Maybe she's, maybe, she, maybe she's doing yoga with, with Aris. You know? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, we have no idea. <laughs> okay. Are there any other misconceptions that you think people might have about Suri going into season 34? I think most of her reputation does hold true. Uh, You know, sometimes we tend to make blanket statements about, you know, some of these great players and omit some of the nuances. Like, you know, like, for example, she got in more fights than I remember. Like that for me was the biggest thing that stood out. I was like, oh, I don't remember, you know, that Suri is does dig her heels in and fight so much as I I. I thought of her at least as more of a behind the scenes savvy strategist. So she does have that element to her. I would say that that's probably the biggest misconception from what I remembered. All right. So here we are with Sari in season 34 and she's going to be on a tribe with Ozzy and with a bunch of other players, Andrea, Brad, Sierra, Sarah, Lucina, Zeke, JT is on her tribe as well. Oh, my God. Yeah, I I know. Just to clarify, that's fan favorite. Yes. Sierra, so. Yes. Fan favorite Sierra Don Thomas. Sierra Don Thomas. Yes. Uh, wow. JT <laughs> yes. is on oh, this she, tribe as well. Yeah. Oh, well, okay. this is but, not a good draw for Sari. Yeah, yeah. Can you explain this to me? I have like, how does production want to screw you over? Like, I have no idea. Why would she be put on the same tribe as Ozzy and JT? I don't know. Now, when we went back to season 31 and Second Chances, they sort of just like did the tribes where they said, okay, this person is a physical comparison to this person. This person is a physical comparison to this person. And sort of like uh, these two people, you can't put them together. But they did not seem to be concerned about JT and Ozzy with Sari. (laughs) I am as baffled as you are. This is not great. Uh, Ty Trang and Debbie Wanner also... Oh, uh, there with Suri. So, okay, so yeah, but that that at least makes sense because isn't uh, Aubrey's on the other tribe, right? So there's a reason that at least two of them had to be together. Yes, and uh, Aubrey is with Beast Mode Cowboy. All right, so oh, let's true, just yeah. talk about uh, people that might at least have some reverence for Suri. Do you think that there's anybody here in this group that you think comes out of the gate and is like, I really need to work with Suri? 
you know, I don't know if Andrea is thinking I really want to work with Suri, but I think that she could be a good pair uh, with Suri. You know, Suri said about Candace in Heroes vs. Villains that she thought Candace was really smart um, and was a strategic player she wanted to work with. I mean, it's possible that Andrea, who, you know, tried to convince the girls to strike against Boston Rob um, in in her season in Redemption Island, that, you know, Andrea could be a good fit for Suri. You know, we've been saying about Andrea since back in Redemption Island that her destiny was to one day be a Parvati. You're right. That could be a good match for Suri, who once took the Padawan Parvati under her wing. Perhaps she could do the same for Andrea. Exactly. Yeah, that would that would be a good pairing. And, you know, it's possible also that fan favorite Sierra Don Thomas might fit into sort of if, if Suri is still thinking, I want to align with the women, um, then it's possible Sierra Don Thomas might fit into that as a threesome. Yeah, I could certainly see a Sierra Don Thomas, if not an Amanda, I could certainly see her in the Candace heroes versus villains bold where somebody who is saying to Suri, okay, uh, you can call the shots around here. Exactly. And you know, I just keep on. I keep wanting to call her fan favorite Sierra Don Thomas. So what uh, what Sierra does is, you know, she is a strong. She has a strong social game and has a strong physical game, but doesn't have that willingness to really take control. She's kind of a calm player. She doesn't scramble, and that also um, will make her a good ally, I think, for Suri. To me, somebody else here that's crucial for Suri is Zeke. You got to think that anybody who's a Survivor super fan comes in, probably has never met Suri. Zeke's got to be psyched to be on a tribe with Suri, right? You know, I think that Zeke is someone who would be so excited to see Suri, but Zeke also might want to make some big moves, and getting out Suri is might be considered a big move. To me, I think everything hinges on, are Ozzy and JT going to work together? Brad Culpepper is there for her. That's like the axis of evil. Brad <laughs> plus Ozzy plus JT signals a early boot for Suri. If any of those, if two of those three guys start like uh, deciding to bro down, it's big trouble for her. Right. Well, because three into 10. Wait, hold on. Let me get my fingers out. <laughs> it's no, bad. I, it's bad. No, I, I absolutely noted that. You know, Brad is the guy who started an all male majority at the beginning of his game. Mm-hmm. Like if he if he can rope in Ty and Ty has been known to work with strong alpha males before when he worked with I mean ultimately ends up flip, flipping um, on Scott and Jason but you know if it's the four of them and maybe they can rope in I don't know if Debbie would want to work with with them or maybe Sarah but uh, but yeah I mean you get those threesome together truly the axis of evil. <laughs> Going back to Debbie and Co-Rong, I mean, her whole thing was that she did want to get a women's thing together. She worked with Joe, but she kept talking about her goal was that she wanted to get the women working together. She really wanted to see a woman winning this game. So I feel like that uh, Suri, you know, if she could get her forces together, it's really going to come down to are the Andreas and the Sierra Dawn Thomases going to go off with the guys or are they going to want to work with somebody like Suri? Right, exactly. I mean, if she can get the five women together and then Zeke, you know, who I'm sure would be 
or Hope would be very excited to play with Suri. I mean, mm-hmm. then that could that could be a formidable six. Ty is somebody I also see that he could potentially really love Suri and want to work with her, and especially coming out of how he got burned working with Kyle Jason and Scott Pollard back in Co-Wrong. Maybe he doesn't want to jump right back into a guy's thing and might be more willing to work with Suri. But she needs to get some of the guys on her side. So I don't know, out of... Brad Culpepper? No, he doesn't want to work with Suri. <laughs> what, what makes you say that? <laughs> so I guess what we have to hope for as Suri fans here is that Ozzy is a forgiving guy. He hasn't necessarily been holding a grudge against Suri all this time. There is some familiarity. Maybe Ozzy hasn't been keeping up with the show for all these years. He doesn't necessarily know who a Sierra Dawn Thomas is from anybody, who a Sarah Lucina is, who uh, a Ty or a Debbie is. And he's like, okay, Suri, you're a familiar face. I know you're cool. And then move on from there. Uh, Yeah, that's entirely possible. You know, just because you have returnaries on a season doesn't mean that they know who everybody else is. I mean, you see Colby in Heroes versus Villains. He goes up to Candace. He's like, do you know any of these people? (laughs) Did did Amanda... Did Amanda and Suri work together? Like he has no clue. He and I know. can see, I can see Ozzy very much falling into that. But okay. yeah, Suri's got to, she's got to build her bunker, and and then she can move forward. Is there anybody in the other tribe that you see any past history with? Uh, what about Sandra? I had heard speculation that Suri and Sandra were not on the best of terms. Is there any smoke to this fire? You know, I've heard that, too. I saw a breakdown of in the season finale of uh, Millennials versus Gen X, where, you know, people are analyzing their body language as they walk out and stand next to each other. Uh, But they've both posted pictures on their Facebooks of them spending time together. So I can't imagine that there's too much bad blood in a relationship between these two. But I don't know. That would be an interesting, interesting dynamic to see. Is there anybody else from the Mana tribe that you see as being a potentially interesting relationship with Suri? You know, I would like to see Suri interact with Jeff Varner, mm-hmm. um, you know, because you see Varner play the first time in Australia and then come back and, you know, is kind of quickly learning what is this new game of Survivor. And sometimes I think Suri is put in the old school tribe, but she's really not. I mean, she is a strategic player and isn't kind of, you know, like I said, the Tom Westman. So her and Varner could actually form a pretty interesting relationship. I think that's interesting. What about Suri and Tony? I mean, do you think that they would hit it off? <laughs> I think Tony might be just a smidgen too chaotic, possibly. Yes. <laughs> I don't know if, you know, Suri would be into hiding out in the spy shack, but, you know, that's that's a relationship I can see not going so well. Yeah, I just think that Suri is really quick to want to get rid of anybody she feels like that she can't trust. I think that that's such a big thing with her, especially like going back to that feud with Penner. She's just like, I don't trust him as far as I can throw him. And mm-hmm. I know that she does not feel comfortable with anybody that she thinks is up to something. Yeah, she really doesn't like people who, you know, she doesn't think that she can trust, but also people that are kind of scrappy and scramble and, and shady, shady. So that's yeah, that's going to put a big X on Tony. I think that's going to be a problem. Uh, Malk and Suri, anything there? 
you know, that might be interesting. I mean, do you think that that Denise and Suri have similarities? Yeah, I definitely do. And I think that that could be something, you know, if you take a look at, uh, you know, where Malcolm, the best relationship that he had, the most productive relationship that he's had in Survivor was working with Denise, uh, who is an older woman. Uh, at least certainly older than he is. And then if you take a look at, you know, the relationship that Sari had with Aris, uh, you know, that we're talking about maybe her broing down with uh, some of some sort of an alpha male and Malcolm is sort of like rides the line between an alpha male and a beta male. I think Malcolm would actually be a great relationship for Sari. Now, I suspect Malcolm's not going to want to take Suri to the end, but I certainly think that they could have a good working relationship in the game. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you. And I think that if Suri, you know, so they're starting on separate tribes. I think if they can make it to the merge and then still form a really solid relationship, you know, because I think that Denise and Malcolm had sort of they're the last two on their tribe. Uh, kind of bond that strengthened their relationship. So whether or not Suri and Malcolm can kindle that at the merge or possibly on a swap, I think that that would be a really positive move for both of them moving forward. Just putting it out there, I would be very okay with Suri and Malcolm going to the end. <laughs> I would be incredibly okay. <laughs> very okay with that. All right. Very okay. <laughs> Anything else on Suri that you want to get out there before we get into the game changers? So I'm thinking about Suri with regards to her reputation and how big of a role that that might play on this season, you know, because we talk about how her narrative changes from she's, you know, she's uh, afraid of leaves and she got up off the couch to now being this social strategist. And I wanted to ask how you thought possibly her relationship or her reputation might play a role coming into this season. It's a very interesting question. She's had such a long layoff now. We talked about how she played every four seasons and now here she is back after 14 seasons. I would think that in a vacuum, that long layoff is going to help her. It just, I think, hurts her so much by the fact that two of the people that have an axe to grind with her are here. Now, we talked about what is the relationship between Ozzy and Sari. Who knows what the relationship is with JT and Sari? You know, they did a lot of pregame press for heroes versus villains, uh, went to finales. Like, who knows if they maybe they see eye to eye and not necessarily everybody that had a bad relationship with one another doesn't get along way down the road. So perhaps in a sea of people that JT could be the new Colby. I mean, JT could be sitting there and saying like, hey, Sari, do you know who any of these people are? <laughs> you know, it might just be the devil, you know, could be better than the devil. You don't. Does JT know who Sierra Don Thomas or Sarah Lucina uh, or Ty or Debbie are? So, I mean, it's possible, but I do feel like that the long layoff helps that maybe somebody like a Brad Culpepper isn't super familiar with her game. Uh, you know, people like uh, Ty or Debbie or Sarah aren't super afraid of her where they might have been in season 20. But the thing I just keep coming back to is that there are two people who are there who know what she's capable of. Right. Yeah. And if they are able to convince, you know, using that to convince others to get her out and the fact that, you know, we uh, we don't know what her her physical capabilities are, but uh, coming into this, they may have changed. But if she is still a weaker physical competitor, then, oh, she's a weak physical competitor and she's this really savvy strategic player. OK, then, you know, maybe that's enough to get her out early. 
I think she's going to have to demonstrate herself uh, in the challenges early on. And we talked about how she looks like she's in really good shape. So hopefully uh, that is the case. But I guess we will see. All right. Mm-hmm. Liana, great job. I, I really enjoyed uh, this deep dive into Suri's game. Uh, this was a lot of fun for me. This was so much fun. I Okay, I have, I have one more thought. I have one more thought. So let's say she goes out first boot. I know you're a Suri fan. I'm a Suri fan. You know, was a taste of honey worse than none at all? Hmm. The fact that she comes back. I really do think that as we come away from more and more of these all-star seasons, I think that sometimes we're just going to say like, look, the die was cast unless it's like, is she go out there and we're like, boy, Sari was in a great position. And then she like pulls a Zane and demonstrates like some sort of uh, terrible gameplay. I mean, sometimes literally there's nothing you can do. I don't think that we go back and take a look at, say, Tina Wesson, for example, and say, boy, Tina Wesson, I think probably uh, a bit overrated because she got voted out first in a six-person tribe in the Survivor All-Stars. I I think that, especially when we see her come back and then do well, I think that we can separate. At this point in time, we've seen so much Survivor. I think that it's getting easier to be able to tell what was circumstantial and what came down to bad gameplay? Yeah, and I think that just having an opportunity to see Sari on my screen, she's got such a great way of talking to the camera. She's a great narrator. And having her come back at all, you know, I'm, I'm just thankful for. There's no chance that we're not going to lose people that we have very high opinions of earlier than we expect to this season. It's a given. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Set myself up for low expectations. It's almost a mathematical guarantee. (laughs) I'll work. I'll work on the math. I'll set up the arrays and we can maybe we can talk about that next time. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think the survivors tend to think about these things. Maybe I would. And maybe that's why it's a problem for me. But I don't think people can say, okay, let's vote off this person because they're they're not they're really not good TV. The fans will be really excited if we get rid of this person first. That's right. Yeah, this is not Celebrity Apprentice. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, Liana, thank you so much on all of your hard work here. Of course, you could follow Liana on Twitter. She is at Liana Boris. That's L I A N A B O R A A S. So great job. Anything else you want to mention before we sign off? Man, I'm just looking forward to this season. See and Suri. Hopefully she was able to get that uh, that Oprah suit dry cleaned. I assume I don't think that you can get that permanent press. <laughs> but yes. uh, but yeah, I'm looking forward to the season. I can't wait. All right. Well, thank you again for everything. And we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Rob. All right, everybody. There you have it. Liana Boris talking about Suri's return to Survivor. I really did enjoy that interview. I feel like it's so much fun to go through the Survivor games of some of the legends that we have coming back for this season. And that was a really fun one for me to go through. I do think that Suri has a real uphill battle based on where she's set up. And I'm keeping my fingers crossed that she can somehow figure a way out of this situation. So, of course, just one of the many things we're watching for on March 8th. Before we get to my conversation about Jeff Varner, I do want to quickly mention that there is a survey that is at podcast1.com slash my survey, or you can just go to podcast1.com and click on the banner there. That is for the purpose of getting some demographic information about the listeners of this podcast to match us up with appropriate sponsors. It should take 
less than five minutes to do, and it is a completely anonymous survey. So if you do have some time as you're listening to this or at any other point this week, it does really help out the show with helping to demonstrate the amount of people that we have who are willing to take said survey and then also a little bit of information about the people that are listening to the show to help match us up better with sponsors that make sense for this show. So again, that's at podcastone.com slash my survey or go to podcastone.com and click the banner for the survey. And don't forget to say that you're from Rob has a podcast. All right, so let's switch gears and begin to discuss the third timeout for Jeff Varner with Dustin West. Here is my conversation with Dustin. All right, today we are very excited to talk about Jeff Varner and his third time returning to Survivor and the second time in the last couple of years today with our Jeff Varner expert. Please welcome back to the podcast. You heard him during the So You Think You Can podcast competition. Here is our good friend Dustin West. Dustin, how are you? I'm I'm great, and this is also my second chance, I suppose. <laughs> yes, yes, you, you have a third chance, That's like right. Jeff Varner, and excited to talk about the return of Jeff Varner. We had to wait, what, like 15 years to get Jeff Varner back a second time, but now we only wait a couple of seasons to get Jeff Varner back here again, and we can get the return of... What just bit my ass? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> It was a crap. Where is Jeff Varner? Jeff Varner back. Dustin, uh, how have you been? I, I have been great, and I have enjoyed following all of the uh, Millennials versus Gen X coverage uh, in the meantime, leading up to now this season. And I'm just, I got to tell you, I, I'm in full I'm in full podcast mode, both Big Brother and Survivor. Going into this season, I can't be more excited. All right. So when we put out the word, we wanted to find people to talk about these game changers. What was it about Jeff Varner that made you say that I am the person who should be talking about him on a podcast? Well, when I first heard that, I immediately thought I need to do this process. And if there's one person on this cast uh, that I need to talk about, it has to be Jeff Varner because Jeff Varner and my survivor watching history kind of go hand in hand. Um, I started my very first season was Survivor, the Australian Outback. Uh, and I was at high, I was in high school at the time. And now I still don't know if this story <laughs> all adds up or if it's true. But I had a one of my very, very good friends in high school with me told me, hey, man, you, you've got to watch the new Survivor season because my cousin is on it. And I said, oh, well, who's your cousin? Oh, it's this dude, Jeff, from North Carolina. Uh, he had just moved. I live in Virginia. And uh, his cousin had just moved to Virginia from North Carolina. So it all seemed to add up at, at that time. Um, so I had a fighting interest in Jeff Varner going into the Australian Outback and uh, have wanted to see him uh, play again all these years up until Second Chance. And then when Second Chance rolled around, I was rooting for him again. So I've just I've always been a big fan and uh, it really, in a in a real way, kicked off my Survivor viewing. Was that story legit? I still don't know <laughs> if it's panned out or not. I I. <laughs> I actually coming into this, I wanted to uh, look him up on Facebook, uh, Jeff's cousin and not like Jeff's cousin that would be at like a live know-it-all. So this is like legit Jeff's cousin. And um, I still I, I haven't been able to put all the pieces together. This guy has gone off the grid. I have no clue where he is. <laughs> all right. So 
Here is Jeff now, the third time around. You know, he made so much about getting his second chance. But what do you feel like the story is of Jeff coming in for the third chance? First of all, I want to just I want to throw out a piece of uh, trivia for you for uh, his third time out. I did some and we might want to source out Rob's fact checker for this, but I'm pretty darn sure that Jeff Varner is the first returning player ever uh, first third time player ever to be pre merge and pre jury on his third time out. Oh, well, let me, before we even get Rob's fact checker involved, that he did make it to the merge in survivor Australia. He was the okay. first boot at the merge. So he is, but, but the first pre jury third That's time. What I meant. Yeah. Yeah. So yes. no one, the only other people that would even be remotely close to that if they played uh, a third time would be like Francesca or Russell Swan or Colton. Um, but he is, uh, he's coming in to this third time, um, having never made the jury. So his story coming in here is somebody who is really, really looking for that redemption, looking for that winning arc. They want to come back and prove themselves. I think probably more than anybody else on this cast list. It speaks to what a great character he is both times and especially the second time. I mean, he was really shot out of the cannon in Second Chances and was uh, electric. So great in those first four episodes. I think he he narrated those first four episodes I and mean, he went to all four tribal councils, you know, so he was he was the main narrator, um, especially in the first two episodes. Um, and he, he really drove the action and was such, such a character. So what did you do to prepare for talking about Jeff Varner today? Well, I took the only route that I knew how to do as a video editor. Um, I, I loaded up all his episodes into my editing software. I watched it. And every time he talked or every time he went on screen, I saved that clip and I just compiled, uh, all the clips that he was ever in and put them in like I kind of call it Jeff Varner, the movie or Jeff Varner, the supercut. And it ended up being like this hour and a half long thing where you can just go back and watch this uh, whole two season arc uh, from Jeff Varner's point of view. And it's actually turned out to be a great resource for me. I've watched it a couple of times coming into this. Um, and it's it's fascinating to to do that. I think all these characters and all these cast members should have something like that. It's it's great. Do you think that we could post that somewhere and then embed a link to it on the website if people want to watch Jeff Varner, the movie to get ready for Game Changers? <laughs> I would absolutely love that. We just got to figure out a way to get around some of the copyright stuff with with the yeah. Survivor and CBS. But uh, as long okay. as we can do that, I'm happy for anybody who wants to watch it to see it. Yeah, I'm sure that we can check in with somebody and uh, we can, you know, crowdsource a way to do that where uh, nobody's going to get in trouble for Jeff Varner, the movie, because the world needs to see Jeff Varner, the movie. It's it, honestly, I swear to you, it's fascinating. <laughs> Okay, so great. So you watched Jeff Varner, the movie. And so what were some of the biggest changes you saw between the first Jeff Varner and the Jeff Varner from Second Chances? The confidence level is the big thing that stands out to me. In the Australian Outback, he came into that game. And a lot of people said that he was like the next Richard Hatch when he came to the Australian Outback. And and he showed it. Coming into that, he was confident as hell. He knew he was not going in that first boat uh, where Deb Eaton went out. And the whole time up until his boot, he just had this he had this confidence to him that he was running the game at the Kucha camp versus 
second chance, there's a scene with him talking to Spencer and Shireen where he looks completely out of his element, where these guys are talking a mile a minute about everybody's got connections with everybody and he doesn't know where to go. He, he was definitely out of the loop. And I, I think that was a, a confidence thing being away from the game from, for so long at that point. That's really interesting because I think that you would say that, OK, here is a younger man, his first time out, and then he comes back later in life and you would say, Okay, look at all the life experience, look at all the confidence that he now has. But with Jeff, it's almost the case of the opposite, where all the time away from the game shook his confidence that he once had as a younger man in the game. Absolutely. And you can you can see it on his face in that scene. He's he's uh, really, really concerned that he's not playing fast enough to, to keep up with these youngsters that are on the second chance. And that's really what drove his uh his gameplay in second chance, which may have led to his, his demise in that season. Because he's a guy in survivor two that is probably playing faster than the actual game in that season, but it's not something that ultimately is going to be hurting him. But at the speed that he's playing, where he feels like I need to be able to keep up with these kids, he's probably playing faster than is recommended even in second chances as well. Yeah. And, and going into Australian Outback, he could get away with that. It didn't, it didn't matter because everybody in Australian Outback, the first vote, nobody was looking for a reason to vote somebody out. Everybody was just hunky dory saying, Hey, let's get the shelter built. Um, so he wasn't being targeted for something like that right out of the gate. Whereas in second chances, if he had played his cards wrong, he could have been because remember in second chances in that first vote, he is most certainly the swing vote. He could have gotten, you know, that target on him of, hey, Jeff's right in the middle. He's the swing. You know, let's just go for him. He's playing so hard. Let's go for him. Um, so he got he that could have cost him there uh, coming out too hard. So going back to the first season, I think that second chances is still pretty fresh in most listeners memories. But what yeah. were some of the things that you saw going back about Jeff from his first time around? One of the things I noticed with Jeff Varner in his uh, first season in the Australian Outback was that he came off very likable, even though. You know, he was kind of the trickster and the manipulator of that season. It seemed that his whole tribe really, really liked him. And he had a good social standing in the Kucha tribe. And even when he was voted out by the Ogacore members uh, at that first vote at the merge, they were sad to see him go as a person. You know, Colby even shook his hand on the way out. And so I was really impressed by how likable he seemed in that season. And do you feel like that that was a trait he kept into second chances? I do, because his social standing, while, you know, he, he got into some tiffs with certain uh, players on that season, he also was able to use his social skills to, to manage one of the most seemingly most difficult people in Survivor history to manage and Abby Maria. Uh, he knew exactly how to work her and play her. Um, just by being nice to her and having a likable connection with her. So I think he was able to carry that over into his second season. Now, I've never gone back and rewatched any of Cambodia yet at mm -hmm. this point. We haven't done that volume of the evolution of strategy. But on the rewatch, right. 
Did you find Jeff to be playing as fast as we've been saying on the podcast? Or do you feel like that that story has just taken on a life of its own? I think it has taken a life of its own. Um, And I think what happened to him in Second Chance was more a case of bad luck than anything. I think the first two votes where he was part of the Takeo tribe, he was, you know, he was doing pretty good. And then he drew a yellow Angkor buff. And I think bad luck had a lot to do with his demise. Bad luck plus Abby Maria. And I don't necessarily see that he, now he was, he was the focal point of a lot of the strategy, but that's because he had to go to all four tribal councils leading to his exit. Um, So he was playing hard, but I don't think it was any more than anybody else would have done on that season. I think it just, he was our narrator at that point. And we got to see a firsthand look at the strategy he was using. And it probably came off to the audience as playing too hard, playing too fast. You know, it's interesting. And I don't know how much you believe in luck. I think that there's a lot of people that are more sabermetrically inclined who'd say, you know, there's no such thing as Mm -hmm. luck. But you can really argue a case where here's Jeff Varner that it's just as luck would have it. Deb Eaton puts a vote on him for whatever reason, because he just happened to get sick because he ate the one of the bad figs or he was getting sick from the airplane. Deb Eaton casts a vote for him. And then Kimmy Kappenberg happens to release that information to Tina, who files it away in her back pocket. Yeah. Then, you know, Jeff is doing fine. And then it just so happens that Mike Scoopin falls in the fire. And then Ogakor, who was on the ropes, doesn't have to go to a tribal council, which then sets up a scenario where it's 5-5 going into the merge through no fault of Jeff's. You know, he was in a tribe that they were up what uh six to five and then potentially could have been up six to four where it would have been right. just a total paganging of Ogakor. And then it just so happens that the tie break happens to be him against Colby who has uh, no votes. And again, he jumps off the peg because he wants to get the peanut butter, but I don't know if he's going to stay up there 10 hours uh, yeah. like Tina and Keith were in that spot. So again, maybe they could have done a better job of picking a person, but I think pretty universally held belief an unlucky break for Jeff Farner that he's the person that Ogakor decides to uh, put their votes on because he had that one slip up where Kimmy said that, hey, Jeff has votes against him. And then you go into second chances and here's Jeff that he's in a pretty good spot at Takeo prior to a tribe swap and he gets sent over to the Angkor tribe where he ultimately is going to uh, get to his downfall. Now, again, there are some mistakes along the way. I think the uh, we got a rat incident is top of mind. (laughs) Yeah. And what's interesting about that, and I listened back to, you know, the the podcast that he's been featured on, on Rob has a podcast. He, on that incident, he described it as a blackout moment. He doesn't even remember it happening. And that even made air on, on the show at tribal council. He says, I don't even remember what happened, but you know, but I'm sorry about doing it. And uh, he also mentioned in the Australian Outback when he was on the airplane in the premiere where they dropped them off, um, he blacked out there. So he's got a lot of blackout moments that seem to happen where <laughs> he gets so emotionally involved in these things. He just, uh, he can't remember anything. So I think that while that incident in Cambodia where he was trying to talk to Kelly Wigglesworth and Tasha called him out, 
I feel like that did put a target on him. He managed to escape that vote that night. So ultimately, I don't think that that built up to his downfall quite as much as we might want to think it did. I, I definitely think it painted him as a, 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 a conniving player. And that, and that um, you know, went to why Andrew Savage perhaps wanted to vote against him. But at the end, what really came uh, what what it really came down to was Abby Maria making a choice between Wu and Jeff Varner. And that's really ultimately what cost him. I, I think, again, that's a bit of a, a bad luck break. So you mentioned that you had listened to his interviews uh, with me on the podcast. Uh, so which interviews did you listen to? Well, he had uh, a recap episode for. Uh, the episode of One World where the men decided to uh, throw or not throw the competition, but just go to tribal council instead of the women. And uh, he also recapped. He was all over Colton in that episode, too, if I recall. <laughs> yeah, he, he said he wanted to spank Colton like a little <laughs> child. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but probably more relevant is some of the stuff he did after Second Chance. Yeah. Uh, he uh, talked about uh, the premiere of Korong. And uh, had a lot of thoughts on some of his future castmates here in, in uh, uh, Game Changers. Okay, I want to get into those, but I, I want to go back and get your opinion on in that interview. I felt like that he was very conservative with me the day that we spoke in the Korong premiere. And I, I felt like almost uncharacteristically so, where Jeff Varner, I thought he was loosey-goosey all through second chances and in mm -hmm. the second chances preseason press. Famously, he did that interview uh, with the great Mikey the Chimp and yeah. uh, that where he talked about all of his alliances that he had coming up from the preseason in this season. And then I found him to be like really holding his cards close to his vest or maybe dress shirt with the sleeves ripped off. So <laughs> what did you think of what he says? And I think in hindsight, I, I think it really makes sense that he's probably either gearing up for a return trip or has maybe uh, already been contacted about yeah. uh, going back again. And I thought he was really tight that day. And that definitely came across. You're not the only one. Uh, they filmed uh, they filmed Game Changers, I believe, in June. And so the premiere of Korong would have been somewhere in February, I would imagine. So yeah. um, so that's only a few months out. So even if he hadn't been cast, uh, like the final lockdown cast, uh, perhaps maybe he had heard whispers of, hey, you know, we're thinking about you. And so there were moments when you... He he was about to say something, you know, he would be like, oh, if I ever played again, I would. Oh, you know, I'm not going to say this because, you know, I want to be good. You know, I want to be on my best behavior. And he would say things like that. And did that make me mad? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You were saying, come on. You were, like you said, you were so you were like the all star of the uh, of right. The, you know, pregame of second chance. Where, where is that guy? Why are you not? You know, and, and he did say coming if he did have a third chance to play that he wouldn't he wouldn't go about the same process of pregame alliances and wouldn't go into um, playing it that hard before he even landed on the beach. So I think he was trying to avoid 
that look of, oh, I'm the I'm the guy that is the huge pregame threat. I think that does give us some insight into his potential mindset coming back for a third time, where I think that he's probably going in trying to do a lot of damage control before he sets foot on the beach for the third time. Absolutely. And who knows who's listening to the Korong premiere podcast, um, you know, but it, it you know, any one of these people could be going back and looking up anything that he's talking about on a podcast. Yeah, and- but I don't want to like make it seem like I'm trying to say that people who are playing in this season are, oh, okay, oh, Jeff Varner might be on the season, so let me listen to what he has to say about the Koron yeah. premiere. That's not what I'm saying, but I think that he is uh, coming into, in, and we're seeing a little bit in that interview I'm doing with him, that he is trying to correct a public image of him that is out there and we are just seeing that in that interview. Yeah, and one of the biggest things that I came away from with that interview with him was that he wants to be, and again, he, he put it in a huge quotation mark, if I get the chance you know, to play a third time, that I just want to be organic. I want to go out there and um, just you know, kind of let it flow and see what happens. And I think that that's way different from how he approached the second chance pregame. So he was definitely standing by that uh, that mentality versus what he had on second chances. So yeah, I do. I agree with you. He was. It does seem like he was trying to correct an image. In addition to correcting his image, I also got the sense that day that he was talking about how he needed to improve his conditioning, which was definitely a factor in him coming back after such a long layoff in second chances. Am I making that up, or did he talk about that as well? You mean kind of like his physical? Uh, conditioning in terms of, you know, yes. working out. Or so. uh, I don't really remember too much about that coming through on the podcast, other than he was pretty embarrassed that they got one shot of him without a shirt on in second chance. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> that was, uh, that was the only thing I remember him saying about that, you know, and that might've even been something that we were talking about in, you know, before we started that he had mentioned like how he was working out or he had just worked out. So maybe that was something yeah. that didn't even uh, make the cut, but I just sort of filed away in the back of my head like, oh, Jeff Arner working out. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's news to me. Uh, so that must be yeah. something that you knew about that I didn't. <laughs> yeah. And I think that maybe he might have even said something about like how he had been like working out so much and he was going to have like a cheat day or he was going to be like ordering a pizza or something like that, <laughs> which had been something different than he had been doing because uh, he had been doing a good job of taking care of himself. And if I recall also, I think that maybe like uh, from his social media, like he had been tweeting out pictures of him at like a spin class and stuff like that, where he had been doing a, a fair amount of exercise leading into uh, going back. So in terms of uh, Jeff Varner's game outside of the image stuff, did you get a sense of there's anything else that he should be trying to correct? I think what he really needs to try to correct is his pacing. Um, If he can, if he can come into this, with with the brakes on a little more, just, you know, pump the brakes a little bit and just let things happen around him. I think that's his his biggest thing that he needs to work on. He felt like in second chances that he had to be the one to con- control the action. Uh, we talk about it all the time with with Big Brother as well. Just go to sleep for however long and then and then wake up maybe around the merge and see what happens. Uh, he needs to pump the brakes a little bit. He, he's, the, he's coming in as a, a two-time pre-jury player. That hasn't happened before. 
Yeah, but it's hard because he's never, you know, had that life experience of going the 39 days. And God knows I haven't either. But, you know, I know what it feels like to get to 38 days. And I remember at least on the second time around being on the beach and just having that feeling of, oh, my God, it's day one. It's day one and there's 38 days more. And you sort of like uh, know how much harder it's going to get. And just to have that, it's, yeah. you know, only knowing of what it's like to physically go to day 21. And then I don't know what day he went out in the second chances, but I think it's probably a hard thing to do in terms of your pacing in terms of, okay, I need to only be doing this and spending this much energy and talk, you know, you know, and strategizing this much because you don't have the sense memory of going that deep into the game. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. He doesn't, he doesn't have that experience. He doesn't have the benefit of the comfortable feeling that you have um, not having to go to the first tribal council or, or just lasting that long in the game. You know, both times he's played, he has to play hard and he has to play fast uh, coming into it. So, you know, in, in some ways he was he was forced to do that, especially on the second time around where he had to go to all four tribal councils leading up to his exit. I feel like he he could pace it. And I understand where you're coming from. I do feel like that he doesn't have to at least be the center of all the drama. You know, he can pick a side with where he wants to go. But if he can just manage to to go along with a group that's already kind of deciding where the action is going one way or the other and not be the focal point of that, I think that would be. A dis- that would be an improvement on both of his premieres because in his Australian Outback premiere, it was either him or Deb. And then in Second Chance, he was the swing vote. Which way am I going to go, Vetus or Abby Maria? So if he can just get out of that spot somehow, I think that's going to set a pace for his third time out that could be better in the long run. Do you think he can do that? Because I really have concerns as to whether when he's sitting there with the camera, when he's on the beach with all the players, can he help himself from trying to do too much? I want to think so, but I don't think so. (laughs) At the end of the day, I think he is who he is. And, um, you know, a 15 year break didn't you know, didn't prove anything different. I don't know what a year break would would do. So what are some uh, misconceptions that I or the listeners might have about Jeff Varner? I definitely think the biggest misconception, like the narrative going into Second Chance was that he gave up his game because he jumped off a pole for peanut butter. That was one of the things that came across as a very simplified version of what happened in the Australian Outback. You know, that's not what happened. It wasn't the peanut butter Mm -hmm. that did him in. Um, and then in second chance, the thought that he was playing too hard, too fast. That's another big misconception. I think his, his exits from the game seem to have taken their, a life of their own when it's so much more nuanced than that. There's so many more things that are leading up to it. And again, it comes back to the good luck versus bad luck. I think bad luck plays into this. So those are some of the, the misconceptions that I see. And if you want to elaborate more on that, we can. Yeah, I definitely do. But I also think that the shorthand version, like the log line for each person, I think it does sort of almost supersede what the nuanced version is. I mean, if you take a look at somebody like Sierra, who is his cast member for Second Chances, the, oh, she voted out her mom thing, you know, follows her around. And it's just right. such a simplified version 
version of who this person is and that, you know, with all due respect to all of the game changers, not every single one of them is a nuanced survivor historian and just yeah. sort of like the log line of, okay, this is the, you know, the, you know, elevator pitch of who this person is does tend to follow you around. Yeah, it does. And, and I think that you just made me think about, you know, the season title is game changer. And while not all of these people do have that nuanced uh, game, a lot of them in some ways have changed the game. And, and I thought maybe how can we talk about how has Jeff uh, Varner changed this game? And I think one of the big ways that he has changed this game, and, and, and this is no misconception, is he, I think, was one of the very first great narrators of this game. And no matter what he has done, uh, positively or negatively, uh, in this game to, to get him booted out or to make him what seemingly be a great member of Kucha and almost, you know, go the distance, he, he can narrate this game like nobody else. And, yeah. and I, I'm excited to see it for a third time. I'm very excited to see Jeff uh, back in action once again. So let's talk about some of the people that Jeff is going to be playing with sure. in this season. And he's been around forever. And so that he probably, you know, has some connections to a lot of these other people. How well do you think that Jeff is set up with this particular cast? Well, without knowing his personal connections just in the kind of survivor community world, I don't know who he knows and who he doesn't know. The one thing I can tell you is the only person on this list that he has played with is Sierra from Second Chance. And even then, he didn't actually play with her. He was never on a tribe with her. Right. So in terms of being set up, I think he does have an advantage in that he is a pre-jury player. There's only a handful of them on this season. And, you know, if it's if this is anything like All Stars and I have no clue if it would be, winners can tend to have a target on their back. And there's a handful of winners there as well. So maybe they'll get you know, an earlier target than somebody who has fizzled out early or pre-jury. So let me ask you your gut instinct. So, okay, here he is with Sierra. Do you think that that is going to be someone he's going to be able to work with? Or do you think that that's going to be a problem for him? I think that they could work well together. I think that they have kind of a similar spirit to the game. I think they want to shake things up when it comes to gameplay. They're, they're not happy just sitting idly by and letting the game go past them and, and, and not fighting for their life. So I think though they have that in common, I'm not sure I can get a good read on what their just kind of their uh, interaction would be. I can't tell really if they would be good friends in any other circumstance. You know what I'm saying? But I feel like they have a similar spirit in the game. I do. I feel like they do have a similar spirit. But when I take a look at who are they friends with and sort of like expand that out, that Sierra is famously one of the witches along with Kelly Wentworth and with Abby Maria. Jeff is no fan of Abby Maria. (laughs) I I just think that we've seen Sierra get along particularly well with uh, the other young people and also with uh, Chaos Cast. They do have, uh, she does have a, a you know, a good yeah. friend in Cass. Uh, whereas Jeff, I feel like that he is connected more with some of the older people like a Terry uh, and people from Takeo that first time around. So 
I wonder, I feel like if I had a gun to my head, I feel like that there would be friction. I feel like that they don't yeah. necessarily get along great, but I have just nothing to base that on. Right. Of course. But I can, I can see exactly what you're saying. I think another person that he would get along well with is Aubrey from uh, Ko Rong. Uh, famously in the Australian Outback, and I don't know how famous this is or not, uh, Jeff Varner <laughs> took a coloring book and crayon oh. as his uh, as his uh, his item to uh, the beach. Yes, you know, the famous crayons. Um, but famously on Rob Has a Podcast, Aubrey <laughs> took uh, crayons in an adult coloring book as well. So maybe they can have a coloring book alliance. Sure. <laughs> sure. Okay. Uh, who are some other people you think uh, could be potential friends for Jeff Varner? I actually think that he would get along really well with Ty Trang if they ever have the opportunity to play together on this season. Um, I think, you know, based on his co-wrong premiere uh, podcast, he was absolutely in love with Ty Trang, thought he was the most adorable thing in the world and just wanted to cuddle with him. Uh, like a little teddy bear. Yeah. Um, so, which anybody would, I think, because he's very adorable. I think that they could get along well on, on a, on a, uh, you know, a personal connection level, maybe not on a game level, but uh, on a personal relationship level, I think they could get along quite yeah. well. I think he's an easy person to get along with. I think he just doesn't like people that are coming and are like super domineering and like bossing him around and telling him what to do. Yeah. And that all depends on how things play out, how fast paced this is and, and where they end up on sides with each other. Yeah. Um, I, I, what I don't see him doing is uh, getting along great with some of the younger, more physically domineering guys. So, you know, and not that there are a lot of younger ones, but, you know, just the more kind of beefcake dudes, you know, Uh, who knows how he would get along with Beast Mode Cowboy, Caleb or or Malcolm. Um, I think he'd have a better shot with Malcolm than Beast Mode Cowboy if I had to put my money on it. I think that you're right. I think that uh, the younger people, I think, is an issue with uh, Jeff and specifically a lot of the the younger guys who are mostly like straight shooters. I think that yeah. they are not going to particularly love Jeff. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think a lot of that has to do with that not only maybe – the age difference could have a personality thing going on to not relating to each other. But I think he could also see them as, you know, if I'm going to stand next to this person, who do you want to vote out? Do you want to vote out, you know, the guy that's going to do great in challenges or the guy that like was walking on a cane who, you know, busted up his toe on the, you know, the blindfold challenge. But on the other side of that, we have a lot of eccentrics in this cast. Mm-hmm. And that's the big question mark for me. Does he absolutely love the people who are crazy and eccentric or can he not stand them? I don't know where to read him on this because I think it's going to be uh, flip a coin. Debbie Wanner. Is he, he might love her. He <laughs> might think that she's the greatest thing in the world. He in, loves in a, Debbie Eaton. He does. And God knows she's eccentric. Um, yeah. But like he went, he he went into second chance, absolutely loving Abby Maria. She turned him on, and <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, and that that was a thing that happened. Yeah, um, so he might love a crazy like Debbie, or she might drive him nuts. And there's enough people in this cast that I don't know how it's gonna how it's gonna go for him. It, it could it could be good or it could be bad. 
Well, let's, you know, drill down specifically into his tribe and uh, pinpoint uh, a couple of people that he's in a tribe with Sandra to start off the game. And what's your gut instinct that you feel like that he works well with Sandra or Sandra does not love Jeff Varner? I think that he would be open to working with her. I have a feeling that she may have a low tolerance with him. See, I disagree. I think that they would actually work well together because I feel like that there is a bond with the old school players and Jeff. I think that, you know, he talked about how he was working with Kelly Wigglesworth and he had something going on with Terry and he wouldn't have been in an alliance with Shane. I think that's an important bond here between the people that have been around forever. That's, you know what, that's a good point. I hadn't even been thinking about that as I look at this cast list because there are very few people from the, like the first 10 seasons. Um, And so it kind of slipped my mind that, you know, they would have that bond. I was thinking of it more from a personality perspective um, that I just know that Sandra is very low tolerance in general. So again, it's a, it's a coin flip as to whether or not I thought they would get along, but that could be really important. And Sandra is going to need allies out here. Sandra is going to need somebody to uh, decide with because she's either got the biggest target on her or she's got the, uh, you know, no one would ever let her win. So I think that if he looks at her in that way, um, he, he might have a built-in alliance just coming out of the gate. Okay. What about Troy Zan? Troy Zan is interesting because in the second chance, uh, the runnings for the second chance, and of course, Troy Zan did not make that cut. You know, Jeff Varner had talked about uh, in your Korong premiere episode that he, he felt really bad for Troy Zan when he didn't get the call to make it on second chance and uh, gave him mm-hmm. a big hug when they were on the way out to the bus to head out to Cambodia. So he has had some interaction with Troy Zan. I think he felt, he felt a kindred spirit to, Hey, here's, here's a guy who's, you know, whose life has been about getting back on survivor. Of course, Troy Zan, I, his record amount of audition videos that he put out there, you know, I think they can, uh, you know, relate on that in some, in some way. So maybe that's something they can talk about and relate on is that, you know, this is a very important part of our lives and we, yes, we get this chance to do it again. Maybe they can bond with that. Yeah. I do feel like that Troy Zan is somebody, even though he played in season 24, I do feel like that he's like a kindred spirit in terms of like, he feels like he's been around forever and maybe yeah. Because he's been, you know, applying forever. Like, I do think that he has a bond with a lot of the uh, older school survivors. So I do think that that's a potential ally for him. But what about Team TV? Uh, Do you see any scenario where Team TV and Jeff Varner could get along? Here's the deal. I was thinking about this earlier today. This is the either it will work beautifully or it will go down in flames scenario. Jeff Varner is, as we've seen, In his two episodes, he's a very active player. He's not passive at all. And I don't think that you could describe Tony as a very passive player either. (laughs) No. Um, So very similar to Millennials versus Gen X, when you had this civil war going on between uh, Zeke and, and Dave, I could see a scenario where you have these two heads of different factions and Jeff and Tony battling each other out. I could also see a scenario where they recognize that in each other and decide to work together. And I haven't decided which one I'm, I'm leaning more towards. 
I, I, I kind of want to think that they would probably battle each other. Yeah. I had to guess. I feel like that it is not going to be in Tony's nature to keep Jeff around. I think that Tony does not like people who are up to something. And I feel like that Tony's going to have a major problem with Jeff. Yeah. I mean, well, Tony wants Tony has to be that driving force. Tony has to be the one that is making the moves. If if he wants to play a successful game like he did in Kageon, it has to be him and no one else. Uh, there's no room for, you know, the second Sith Lord. Uh, <laughs> it has to, hey, I thought it's always a master and an apprentice. <laughs> that, that's true. But neither one of them can be the apprentice. That's the always problem. two. There are. <laughs> well, maybe he can take someone else under his wing, but I think they would butt heads now that I really am talking about it. I think they'd butt heads. Yeah. What about Jeff with Michaela? I think that that's also a potential problem for Jeff. It is. It could be, I think we, we have had some comparisons uh, with Michaela to Abby Maria, but I don't think that that's a one for one by any stretch of the imagination. The, the only comparison that I really see there is that they can be explosive personalities, but Abby Maria has to, you have to stroke her ego a little bit, where with Michaela, I think you have to appeal to her better senses. So I think that if, if Jeff can, can, if, if there was a heated argument, you know, for example, between the two of them, if he was able to talk to her in a logical way, I think they'd be OK. But I, I don't know. She's she's one of Michaela is one of the biggest wild cards on this whole. I have a cheat sheet in front of me on the, this whole paper uh, in front of me. I do not know where Michaela stands. And it's she's just so hard to read. But I think that that they could be two personalities that, that could butt heads unless they can reason with each other. I feel like with Jeff, the more blunt and outspoken and straight shooting somebody is, I think the more it's going to be a struggle for him. I think the the more a person like talks in nuance and is like a conversationalist like he is, and the more a person can like spin a yarn, I feel like that that is the kind of person that Jeff gets along with. Yeah, he doesn't seem to thrive in those blunt uh, conversations. <laughs> he uh, he definitely is is better in those conversations where he is uh, either stroking someone's ego, saying that, oh, you know, don't worry about this. You're so good, you know, versus, you know, Jeff, you're on the bottom. You're getting voted out. And then he's going to freak out if he hears that kind of blunt kind of thing. So I, I agree with you. He, he would tend to work with those personalities a little bit better than somebody like Michaela. Specifically women who are, you know, more outspoken, whether it's Kimmy or Tasha or Abby Maria, it feels like those are the people that he's butt heads with before. And I could see this potentially being a problem with Michaela, who we saw in millennials versus Gen X, like doesn't put up with a lot of crap from people. Well, isn't there the chance, though, that he could set up Michaela and Sandra to fight each other and then he could just walk away? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, somebody has to be really pro chickens on the try. Maybe that could be Haley Ford. Yeah. Uh, she could be fighting for the chickens. The only thing she's pro is Constitution. That's all. Yes, that's true. Uh, what about Malcolm? Are you getting any good vibes or bad vibes uh, from Malcolm and Jeff's relationship? I don't see a reason right off the bat for Malcolm to target Jeff. What I feel like they could do, um, what I see happening between those two is they might have the chance to just kind of nerd out a little bit. 
um, where where he could relate to Troyzan on an emotional level, like I've been trying to get on this game. Maybe he could relate to Malcolm on a level, like a strategic level. You know, hey, here's some crazy moves I've been thinking about. You know, you've you've definitely have a crazy two seasons. I have a crazy two seasons. Um, maybe we could work together and hear some ideas. That's that, I, I don't see right off the bat a reason for the two of them to not get along. I don't know about you. I know I don't see anything uh, one way or the other, but um, let me give you somebody who's not on Jeff's tribe, but I feel like somebody who is not going to love Jeff. I think Sari is not crazy about Jeff Varner. I, I can see that. Again, she's one of the, and I, I say this not in terms of age, but in terms of season, she's one of the older players on on the cast list. So there is the small chance that maybe they could relate on that level. But she doesn't seem to be the type of person to put up with too much nonsense. And and I think that she could probably see through any of the snake-like uh, charming that yeah. he would do to her. In a lot of ways, I think of Varner as a similar type of player as Penner. And uh, of course, there's some important differences, but Suri wanted nothing to do with Penner in fans versus favorites. She felt like she couldn't trust him. Uh, She couldn't trust him as far as she could throw him. And if she just has a bad vibe on somebody and she feels like that it's not a trustworthy person, she's going to want them out sooner than later. And and that would be and that would be the case with Jeff Varner if he plays anything like his first two seasons. That would be the read that she would get on him. And it's interesting you compare him to Pinner because he looked incredibly like Pinner in his second chance cast photo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> with that hat. <laughs> yeah. Just going back to this thing that we've been talking about really for the last year or so much since Corong is that how much you can trust a person is becoming more and more important in uh, the trust cluster era of Survivor. These these trust clusters. I mean, give me a break. Give me a break. That's right. But Jeff, I think that that's going to be the biggest thing he needs to work on is how does he earn the trust of these people, especially coming off a season where the shorthand version of his story is that he was somebody who was untrustworthy. Right. I mean, they, 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 there are GIFs and clips of him where Tasha is saying, we have a rat. I mean, that's that's what he is known for being. He, he is. And and in many ways, he is that coming out of his two seasons. He is a troublemaker and he is a quote unquote rat. You know, he's going to stir things up. And I mean, especially going into Second Chance, he had the most you know, well-known alliance going into any Survivor game ever. Uh, and he turned on them on the first night. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, so what does it even mean? Right. Right. There's not a lot of trust to be had there if you just go off of past history. All right, Dustin, is there anything else about Jeff Varner that we should keep in mind before he goes back and we watch him play in season 34? Well, I just want to reiterate that I do, I do think that at the core of Jeff Varner is a good Survivor player. I think that uh, ultimately both of his seasons, bad luck was a huge factor in why he got voted out. Uh, I think there were some things that he could have changed on his end. But I think most importantly is the time gap between Second Chance and now Game Changers is is crucial. There was 15 years between his first two seasons. Now there's only about a year. So – He's gotten some of those nerves out of his system. Maybe he's gotten those those first six days where he's just running around like a maniac on second chances. 
that that's out of him. And now he knows how the new game is played. And maybe he can, you know, hit the beach and not be so caught off guard when Shireen and Spencer are telling him about all these different connections. Maybe this time he can, he can be the three C's cool, calm and collective. Yes. Yeah. He needs to get his legs under him in this season and, you know, get to day nine, day 10, and maybe hopefully, you know, ride out the storm, let everybody else make their own actual impression of him and not be thinking so much about what he did in the last game. I think it might be big for him if they can win a couple of immunities uh, early on where they don't have to uh, keep going to that first tribal council like he has in his two previous seasons. I think that would be a nice thing for Jeff. Yeah. One the immunities would be huge. I think that that coming into a, a tribe that could potentially, you know, win those first few, man, that would make all the difference in the world. Kucha had that, uh, and he definitely benefited from that. Of course, we know the circumstances with Mike falling in the fire and the you know and the tie you know cast uh, previously cast votes. Uh, if it wasn't for that, you know, he was looking good. They they were doing well on their their winning streak. So I think if he could repeat mm-hmm. some of that success, he'd be all right. I mean, he went to every tribal council that he was on the show in Second Chances, right? He was four for four on tribal councils. Four for four. He had more tribal councils in Second Chance than he did in uh, Australian Outback. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's wild. All right. So then can Jeff Varner win the game, Dustin? Can he do it? I think that I am going to hope that he can make the jury. Hope that he can make the jury. So in yeah. going back and watching everything that this did not convert you into a believer that he can do it. It is so hard for me to see him sitting at that final tribal council. He'd be good in the final tribal council. Though. He would when when he was giving his case against why they should keep him instead of Wu on the tribal council that he left. That was a master performance. I'm honestly surprised that they didn't keep him. Uh, that was, it was so good. And if he, if he had something like that up his sleeve for a final tribal council, man, that he, he could win. I just don't think that he's going to get that far. I love him to death and I'm knocking on wood that he can go as far as he possibly can. I would love to see a Jeff Varner jury. And of course, I would especially love to see a Jeff Varner final tribal council, but I'm just holding out for the jury. I really want to say, I don't want him to be the first third time player to never make the jury. Is he the oldest member of this cast? Uh, just at first glance, it's gotta be him or I, I he's gotta be older than Troy Zan, right? Other than that, maybe yeah. him and Debbie are around the same age, but that's about it. I think that the recipe for success for Jeff really should be that he should go back to the original Kucha tribe and remember Kentucky Joe. And I think that he needs to, you know, as long as he can hold his own in the challenges and not be a liability to this group, if he can just, hey, I'm just there, here for the experience that, you know, I can you guys believe it? I'm here a third time. Isn't this great? And, you know, just really take it all in. Like maybe uh, Sierra could be like the his Elizabeth Hasselback and just sort of play the, you know, elder statesman of the group yeah. and not be seen as somebody wheeling and dealing and just be like, you know, the lovable, you know, sage Jeff Varner. I think that that would serve him well. Let's get him a trucker hat and kick him off a cliff. Let's do it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I agree with you. All right. Dustin, do you have a Jeff Varner hashtag? Uh, I'm going to go back to what we were talking about with Aubrey, and I think it should be the uh, hashtag coloring book alliance. Let's make it happen. 
Okay, so you want to push for the Jeff and Aubrey connection. I think they would do well. Yeah, well, let's do it. All right. Well, wishing Jeff Varner all the best of luck in the new season. Uh, always fun to watch on our TV screen. So uh, looking forward to seeing how it all plays out. All right, Dustin, if people want to follow you, not just for your Jeff Varner insight, but for so much more, what's your Twitter handle? Uh, Twitter handle is at Dustin T West. No spaces straight through. And then Dustin, anything else you want to promote? Maybe if we can get Jeff Varner to the movie going, we can work on that. We can push (laughs) that. Uh, But other than that, uh, we're good at the moment. All right. Well, Dustin, thank you again uh, so much for all of your insight into Jeff Varner and uh, all of your hard work and uh, looking forward to uh, chatting again sometime uh, soon. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. All right. Take care. All right, everybody. There you have it. That's Dustin West talking about Jeff Varner. If you want to check out Jeff Varner, the movie, we are going to have that embedded in the post for this episode of the podcast. You can go to robasawebsite.com and click on it. Or if you want to see all of our preseason coverage for Survivor 34, of course, we had our Game Changer preview about Zeke Smith and Haley Ford up on Friday. And then I had my draft that I recorded back in June. And then also my preview of the entire cast with Josh Wiggler. That's all available when you go to robasawebsite.com slash S34. And I'm so excited for Wednesday on our next Game Changer preview because this is the highly anticipated all Tony episode coming up on Wednesday. So first, we're going to hear from John Krause, somebody else who is from the So You Think You Can podcast competition. We're going to talk with John about the game. And then we have a very funny second segment planned where my good buddy Jordan Kalish, who does This Week in Survivor History, has compiled a list of the 11 things he loves about Tony. And so we're going to go through. We have a lot of sound clips, some of the really fun things about Tony's personality in addition to talking about his strategy. So that's all coming up on Wednesday on Rob is a Podcast. Again, if you don't want to miss any of it, subscribe to the podcast. Rob has a website.com slash iTunes. Of course, I'm always looking forward to hearing what you guys have to say both on the website at robsonwebsite.com and on social media. I'm always checking my mentions because it's so much fun to get that feedback from you guys. I'm at Rob Sisternino on Twitter. Hope you guys are enjoying this series as much as I am. Take care. Have a good one. Bye.